Death has lost its grip on me. I met yesterday afternoon with a couple really to start planning her memorial service. All right? She's dying. She knows that. But what a declaration of faith on her part and their part. Death has lost its grip on her. It's because of the gospel. Amen? This is real stuff. That's just something we sing about casually. The reality of the gospel. Yeah. All righty. Uh, Anita Marshall. Is Anita here? No, she. I, I said that first service she wasn't here. I don't know where she hangs out. Probably has a smoke out front, you think? No, 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 no. no. I didn't say that, should I? Uh, she posted last Monday, November 4th, Charleston Bible Church has so many gifted speakers. This wouldn't be a. A warning. And you know, you've seen signs like this, minister parking at a church. Kind of grates me when I see that. It's kind of like, you know, who do they think they are? You know what I mean? They have a special parking spot. But, but anyway, that's not here nor there. You know, I'm really in trouble if I have a spot out there on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Pastor Joel's park. Uh, my wife, maybe her parking, pastor's wife or something like that. We're really going to be in trouble, aren't we? Yeah, where am I going with all this, you're wondering? Uh, anyways, you park here and you preach. It's a warning. Right? Well, if you show up and then you take this spot, you're going to have to preach. Well, that's no warning for us as a church. That's no warning. A, a, a number of our folks responded to Anita's post. Uh, Michael Mott says we wouldn't be able to keep Jack White out of it. <laughs> yeah, and you're right, Anita said, and Jack White said, love it, want it. And then Michael McAvoy chimed in, and he said, first one in gets to preach, game on. <laughs> and Karen Trent, uh, she adds her humor. She says, I'm going to sit back and see who gets there first. And then Les Dowdy, he can't be silent with this. He loves to teach and preach. He said, do you even know what time I get up? And Michael said uh, to Les, I'm camping out on Saturday night. And Jack White says, sorry, put my pup tent there this morning. This is back on Monday. It's great to be a part of a church that has so many gifted teachers, preachers, isn't it? Just tremendous. We're so blessed. In our passage this morning, let me segue to our our passage. We're going to see Peter preaching. So we're going to be looking at Peter preaching. And he didn't ask for the opportunity. It just came his way, and he lays hold of it. And in fact, he does so well that 3,000 people are converted. Do you think that's good? Amen. Wow. Absolutely tremendous. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, covering a lot of passage this morning, some 26, 27 verses. Take out your notes. What does this mean? Who's asking this question? That that title comes right out of our passage. It's the crowd that gathers on Pentecost and says, what is going on here? let's, Let's talk about context. In Acts chapter 2, and we just started a study in the book of Acts, and we'll work our way just section by section through this book. But in chapter 2, we find ourselves in Jerusalem at the Feast of Passover as one of the required feasts for the men to attend. And so the city is packed. They're celebrating the harvest. 
Ten days previous to this, Jesus had ascended to the right hand of his Father. And before ascending, he told his disciples, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the what? The Holy Spirit. And what kind of terms do we use? Does our writer Luke use or Jesus use the pouring out of the Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Uh, What does it mean to be baptized? What's the basic idea? It just simply means to be immersed into. So the term is used in a lot of different ways and here used to be immersed into the realm of the Holy Spirit, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's coming was accompanied by miraculous displays. I mean, everybody's starting to pay attention. There was a noise like a violent rushing wind. Do you remember that? I talked about a hurricane. Not a hurricane, a tornado. And what do they say when there's a tornado? It sounded like a freight train. (laughs) That evidently is what was going on. There's noise like a violent rushing wind. Tongues is fired, distributing themselves on the disciples. And then they're speaking in tongues. People from all over the world were in Jerusalem for the feast, and the disciples stand up and they proclaim the wonders of God in languages they had not learned, proclaiming the wonders of God to these people from all over the world. Some 15 locations Luke gives us. He's emphasizing that, isn't he? It's the gospel for the world. Well, a crowd has gathered, and and their response is found in verse 12. And they all continued in amazement. I mean, they're amazed at what's happening in in this city. But they were perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So there's my sermon title. That's what we're going to be talking about. What does this all mean? How do we make sense of this? They're saying we're perplexed. Actually, others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. These guys are drunk. And so in that context, on Pentecost, the outpouring of God's Spirit, these miraculous manifestations, Peter stands up and he's going to tell them what it means. What does this mean? And so Peter tells them. So now you understand the context of our passage. You've got it down, don't you? We're in Pente- We're in Jerusalem at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit. The crowd is perplexed and Peter says, Aha, let me tell you what's going on. I'll tell you. Our passage today is the first sermon we find in Acts. Evidently, there are some 19 sermons. I didn't count them all up. John Stott alludes to these kind of figures. 19 sermons are messages in Acts. Eight by Peter, nine by Paul, one each by James and Stephen. And 20% of Acts is devoted to Peter and Paul's messages. Is that a lot? When we think in terms of a writer and and what he gives us. And in fact, Stott says if you add in Stephen's speech, which is a really long one in Acts chapter 7, 25% of Acts is given over to sermons or messages. That's significant, isn't it? We want to understand the book of Acts. What's going on? And so the proclamation of the apostles is huge. In fact, I got this idea. This is big. When we think of the significance, even thinking of the significance of what we're looking at this morning, this this is big because we want to know, what did they preach in the early church? I mean, we preach a lot of stuff in today's church, don't we? Don't we? We sure do. But what, what did the apostles preach? Now, this isn't a church context. This is a crowd gathered on Pentecost. 
But what did they preach? And so the question, what does this mean? And this is how we're going to develop it. You see it in your notes. Basically, four ideas. Peter stands up. He's a stand-up guy. And he's going to allude to Joel. Joel, he says, has a word about this. He's going back to the Old Testament. And then he's going to say it's all about Jesus. What you see happening here is all about Jesus. And then we'll see the response of the crowd. So we're going to cover a lot of material this morning. Cover a lot of material. How many brought a lunch? Uh, nobody. Wow. How, who's willing to go to Hardy's and get some food for us all as we work around? Oh, some of you are, are you too, want to get out of here. Tony. No way. We're not letting you go, man. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about this. Peter, a stand-up guy. Verse 14, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to the crowd, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words for... These guys aren't drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And so we see Peter here standing up and addressing the question that had been raised. What does this mean? What does this mean? And I want to point out a couple of things about Peter and his standing up before we look at what he has to say. Peter here is actually a very brave guy. Maybe you didn't think about that. He stands up, but he's a very big guy. Maybe you're thinking that because you're thinking, I would never stand up in front of a thousand people to preach. But but he's a very brave guy because just seven weeks previous to this, the, the Jewish religious establishment hung Jesus on a cross. And here he's going to proclaim Jesus. He's a very brave guy. In fact, there's some antagonism already starting to take place, right? Some of them are saying, these guys are drunk. These guys are drunk. So Peter is brave. And he's good on his feet. He's extemporary, which means he stands up in the moment ad hoc and preaches. If you and I were called upon to preach, we'd say, well, I need to get me some notes. Wouldn't you say that? Wouldn't you? The most of us would, but but not this day, not Peter. It's actually laid in his lap and he stands up and he preaches And I think it's significant to think in terms of what guided Peter. How could he do it? Because the truth is the most of us probably would fail. We wouldn't step forward. How could he do it? Number one, he was spirit empowered. The spirit of God had been poured out on the disciples and under the enablement, through the enablement of the Holy Spirit, he preaches. Number two, he was Christ centered. You're going to see that. You're going to see that he points to Jesus Christ. And so that's the heart of his message. That helps simplify things. We're not going here and there and all over the place. I'm going to preach Jesus. And number three, he preaches from Scripture. Probably about half, half of what he says here, and we'll see it, is Old Testament Scripture. So I think there's an application for us, even as we're just getting started that Peter himself makes about doing what he did. In 1 Peter 3, we read, uh, Peter writing the following. Let's set the context. So Peter's writing to persecuted Christians. All right? And so he's encouraging them to live right in the midst of their persecution. And he said, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for good? Usually you won't have to suffer. 
But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. God is at work. You're suffering for the cause of Christ. Don't fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But what should I do? Well, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Set your heart. I want to obey Christ and not man. And then notice, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Isn't that what Peter's doing? In Acts chapter 2, isn't that exactly what he's doing? He's making it a defense to those who are asking about the hope that they had. What, what's going on? They want to inquire what's going on. And Peter steps up. And may that be us. May that be us in the days ahead. We're coming into the holidays and there's going to be opportunities for us to step up. And may we do it. Under the enablement of the Spirit, focusing on Christ, using Scripture... We should know scripture, at least the basics of the gospel, right? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We should know the gist of the gospel. We shouldn't have to be wondering, boy, where do I go from here? Yeah. All right. What's the question being raised? What question are we addressing Yeah, what's going on? What does this mean? And so Peter takes them to Joel. That's where he starts out. He says, Joel has a word on this. This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. My name is Joel. How many of of you like the name Joel? (laughs) Thank you, Michael. Take you out for lunch sometime. It's a great name. Curtis, you can join us. It's really a good name. I, I like to think in terms of what do names mean. Joel, it's a contraction of two names of God. You know, Jehovah and uh, Elohim. Jehovah is Lord. That, that's, the, that's the idea. Or Yahweh is Lord. That's a great name. Yeah. So when you speak to me, you speak to me with a little bit of respect. When you say, Joel. Uh, there you go. <laughs> with my name on it. <laughs> He's a minor prophet. Most of you would struggle probably finding, where is Joel? Or, you know, how, how do I find it? Three short chapters. And in chapter one, he talks about a locust plague that has come on the nation of Israel in judgment. And from there, he goes on to speak of a future day of judgment, a final day of judgment. So this is just a, 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 a foreshadowing of a final day of judgment. It's spoken of as the day of the Lord. That's a phrase he gives a lot. We'll see it in what, what Peter quotes, the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? Well, it's the day when God has his way on earth. That's the day of the Lord. That's when he's going to humble the wicked and exalt the righteous. Establish Christ's rule in its fullness. Don't you long for the day of the Lord? Aren't you sick of things the way they are in a sense? And long for the day of the Lord when God's going to make it all right and Jesus is going to come back? Amen? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so notice, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Biblical writers broke history down into two ages. This age and the age to come. That's the very simple breakdown. This age is one of unrighteousness. The age to come is one of righteousness. It's the time of Messiah or Christ's rule. 
The last days are the days leading up to the age to come. So there you go. This age, the age to come, the last days, what are they? It just makes sense. They're the days leading up to the age to come. New Testament writers declare that we're now living in the last days. Did you know you're living in the last days? It's that period of time between Christ's first coming and His second coming. And so we're in the last days leading up to the age to come. We're looking for the day of the Lord when when God is going to have His way. When He exalts the righteous, humbles the wicked, and the rule of Jesus Christ comes in. Amen. Now some of you are wanting to add your eschatology fine points, and that's good. We need to work with these ideas, but I just gave you the basic framework within which then we start to give other details. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Great discussion. In Acts chapter 2, Peter proclaims that what had been spoken of by Joel, that's his term, I think. This was spoken by Joel. It was spoken by him concerning the last days which were in was now taking place. That's what he says. This is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. There's what's happening. There's the idea of the baptism of the spirit, the gift of the spirit, the pouring out of the spirit. And it's going to happen for young and old, men and women, slave and free, everybody who calls on Christ. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour, in those days, pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And then he continues on quoting extensively from Joel. And I'm going to grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. There's going to be blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious, what? Day of the Lord. Before it comes, and... Then the encouragement to respond, everyone, it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so in Acts chapter 2, Peter declares that what had been spoken of by Joel was taking place. God was pouring out His Spirit on His, on His, the Jesus disciples. They were learning and hearing from God, speaking of God in new ways. Joel here speaks of prophecy and visions and dreams. I think what is being alluded to was to the tongues that were taking place at Pentecost. So Pentecost was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. That's, that's what Peter is saying. What was prophesied is now taking place. God is pouring out His Spirit on mankind. Wow. <laughs> this is big. Isn't it? But it was only partial. Some of you are trying to put all of this into your your eschatology and your framework. Not all that Joel prophesied was being fulfilled at Pentecost. You've got the cosmic signs weren't taking place. You've got the great and glorious day of the Lord. It has not come. It hasn't come yet, has it? The great and glorious day of the Lord. And so Joel's prophecy was being fulfilled at Pentecost. That's what Peter is saying. But it's clear it's only partially being fulfilled. Much of what was spoken of still awaits the end. Boy, we need to work carefully with Scripture, don't we? Peter works very well with it. We're going to see that. That's an emphasis we should have. Boy, he understands his Old Testament. He didn't spend much time in his New Testament, did he? Right? Uh, right? There was no New Testament. 
He went to the Old Testament. Let, let me apply this. And just this broader idea for us. It, it's the Spirit of God being poured out. We should be comfortable talking about that. You know, we're an independent Bible church. We're not a charismatic group. We're not a Pentecostal group. They're comfortable talking with these things, right? Baptism of the Spirit, fullness of the Spirit, all these kind of things. And us, well, we can be very shy about it all. And we don't want to be. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. These ideas of the baptism of the Spirit, which, as we discuss, happens. In fact, we're going to see it a little later on in Acts chapter 2. Happens when one puts their faith in Jesus Christ, repents of their sins. And Peter says, you do that and you'll get the gift. That's how you get the gift. It's the great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, from Westminster Chapel in London, asking his congregation a question. And he had this to say, I want to talk today about the baptism of the Spirit. You may call it what you want, but I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Spirit? So the baptism would be this reception of the Spirit at salvation. But I want to know, have you experienced the fullness, the walking in the Spirit? I, I know all of you listening to me come as I do from a Reformed background, but it's not, it's not good enough. I know that all of you would want to say to my question about the Holy Spirit, well, we got it all at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, said Martin Lloyd-Jones, I have only other one, only one other question to ask you. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? All right. Seems to be rebuking his congregation, saying, hey, we got this doctrine of the Holy Spirit down. We, we're better than our Pentecostal friends and our Charismatics because we know that we get the baptism at the time of conversion. Right? Repentance and faith. And, and so Martin Lloyd-Jones has wanted to ask, well, if you got the baptism, if you got the Spirit, uh, is He showing up in your life? Wow. Kind of stepping on toes, isn't He? How would the Spirit show up in your life? Because most of you say He has. I would say He's showing up in my life. I've repented of my sins, put my faith in Jesus Christ. Experience the activity of the Spirit. So, so how does He show up? Let me suggest in some ways. Number one would be power for witness. Acts 1-8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. So by our witnessing of Christ, we demonstrate, hey, I got the Spirit. I got the Spirit. Yeah, I speak of Christ. Or how about uh, gifts of the Spirit? Using our gifts, each and every one who's received the Spirit has received by the Spirit gifts to serve the body. So if you're going to talk about the fact that, man, I've been born again and I I got the Spirit, then you know what? You ought to be serving in the church. And if you're not, I'm going to question, well, the Spirit gifts us for service and you're not serving. Why isn't the Spirit showing up in your life? I'm becoming even a little bit more pointed than my friend um, Lloyd-Jones, right? Or how about character transformation, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. All those kind of good things show up in the life of somebody who's got the Spirit. Wow. Holiness of life. He, he is called the Holy Spirit. Sets us apart onto God. All right, let's move on. What's the question? What is Peter addressing? He's going to get, he's on hunt. 
he, he hears them asking, What's, well, what, what does this mean? We're, we're perplexed. Some of my friends are saying, you guys are drunk. What does this mean? And Peter says, look, this is what was prophesied in our scriptures, Joel 2, the pouring out of God's Spirit. And he then uses the following discussion to point them to Christ. Yeah. Because the Spirit has been poured out, and the only reason the Spirit's been poured out is because the Messiah has come. And he died, and he was nailed to a cross, but he was raised from the dead, and he was exalted to the right hand of his Father. And upon being exalted to the right hand of his Father, what did he do? He sent the Spirit. Amen. So there's this connecting of the dots, right? Peter's helping them connect the dots, and it's so good, he's just taking them back to their scriptures, taking back to their scriptures. So he's going to turn to Christ now. Because Christ sent the Spirit. Notice, it's all about Jesus. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. And so here he starts out, as he's going to talk about Jesus, he talks about what? Jesus' life. His miraculous activities, evidencing that he had been sent by God. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus' death. This man, Jesus, was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. He died. In fact, you're responsible for his death. Because of your actions, he was nailed to the cross. Isn't it great, though, what Peter says here? But by the pre, it happened by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. It was not some mistake. You know, Jesus didn't miscalculate the ability of the Roman government to put down him and what his revolution, if you will. No, it was all according to the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Which is a great encouragement to us because in the midst of our trials, we want to know God is in control, working out his activities. Everybody else may look around and say, boy, God's, he's absent. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's not absent here. No. Peter then speaks of Jesus' resurrection. He says, but God. You like that, don't you? But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so he says Jesus was raised, and this is all according to our Old Testaments. And so now he'll take them back to Psalm uh, 16. He quotes extensively. He's back to his Old Testament again. I'm going to show you where this was spoken of. And, And he says this. David says of him, he's quoting Psalm 16. And let me say this, and I don't think this is in your notes. A little later on in Acts, Paul is going to quote from the same psalm. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the resurrection. And so there are some key passages that the apostolic preachers went to as they proclaimed the gospel. And this is one of them. Psalm 16. David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence. He's at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. And here's the focus of what Peter wants to say. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. And so Peter's focus is, in in verse 27, is Psalm 16, verse 10 
where David writes of not being abandoned to death and to decay. And, and Peter picks up on such and he applies it to Jesus and says, this is speaking of Jesus. Boy, he knew his Old Testament. <laughs> Should challenge us. And so verse 29, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So Psalm 16 can't be speaking of David because right down the street is his tomb. And this actually is a picture of what is considered to be the grave of David in Jerusalem, but actually it's like, no, probably not. And so Peter declares that David was speaking prophetically. He was looking ahead and speaking of Christ. And so he says, verse 30, because he was a prophet, knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades. Here he's quoting that psalm again. Nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, according to the Old Testament scriptures. And then what does he add? We're witnesses of this. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yep. Yep. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at that in just a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is going to give a whole list of witnesses of the resurrection. So, what what is Peter doing? He's answering this question. What does this mean? He says, well, Joel spoke about the pouring out of the Spirit. But, But it all points back to Jesus. His life. His death. His resurrection. And then Peter goes on to say, His exaltation. They're having, or having been exalted to the right hand of God. Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. And from there He'll go on and give Old Testament support again. So Dave, uh, Peter is just taking us back to Old Testament Scripture. Taking us back to Old Testament Scripture. Challenging us. Boy, I need to be in my Old Testament. I don't see a lot of stuff he sees. (laughs) But we know the Spirit is active, teaching him such things. So, sit at my right hand. He's talking about not David being ascended, but Christ being ascended to the right hand of God and pouring out the Spirit. Can you think of another passage where this is quoted in your New Testament? This is proof that Christ has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, that he is, he is God, He is the Lord. Actually, Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew 22, just before He goes to the cross. Wow. All right. Go ahead and breathe deep. Poke your neighbor, because they may have fallen asleep at this point. I hope not, but they might have. Because we've been talking a lot of Scripture, haven't we? Yep. But what is Peter doing? He's preaching the gospel. That's what he's doing at Pentecost. And what's taking place? And he's pointing them back to the Old Testament. He's establishing it on the basis of the Old Testament. But he's preaching Christ, the one who he was witness to, his resurrection. And so we ask the question, this is a really good question to ask, what is at the center of the apostolic message? That's a very important question. And what's at the center of their preaching is Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. That's what was at the center of Peter's preaching. 
He's going to support it through the Old Testament. He's going to support it through his own experience. But he's going to say it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul does the same thing. You can go to Acts, I think it is 13, and watch Paul preach. And you know what? He preaches the same thing. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians 15... Speaking of the resurrection, he said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to see us unto the twelve. This almost sounds like Peter, just condensed down, doesn't it? What's at the very heart of what Paul proclaimed? Of first importance, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Can you give me some Scriptures where his death in the Old Testament is given? Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. Yeah. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That, that's the apostolic declaration. That has to be our declaration. Amen. That is the biblical declaration. Here, here's a, an Easter comic, actually. It's Easter Sunday, and there's the preacher right here, and the couple is exiting, and the guy says, you're in a rut, Reverend. Every time I come here, you preach about the resurrection. (laughs) That's because he only shows up on Easter Sunday, right? That's why he's saying that. But we're in a rut at Charleston Bible Church. Did you know that? We're in a rut. We preach Jesus all the time. Probably every Sunday. Yep. We preach Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then the first of the month, we go to the communion table and we declare our faith in Jesus Christ. But that's at the very center of what we believe. And it was the very center of the apostolic proclamation. It's at the very center of what Peter is preaching at Pentecost. It's important for us to understand that. Because churches can really go off the rails, can't they? And they're preaching and teaching all kinds of stuff. And it's interesting stuff, but... Uh, the very heart of what we should proclaim is Jesus Christ because he is the hope of the world. Yeah. Hallelujah. All right, well, what, how does the crowd respond? <sighs> is that their response? No, no. Well, what shall we do? And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and, and said to Peter to, and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, well, you need to repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified, kept on exhorting them. Uh, the strange thought comes, you know, you've been to evangelistic crusades where they sing one more verse of just as I am or what, but here they went on. He kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And so then those who had received his word were baptized and 3,000 were added to the group. Wow. So their question, brethren, what shall we do? Well, what was the first question here? This is a quiz. What was the first question? We've been talking about this whole time. What does this mean? All right. And he, he takes all this time to talk about it, doesn't he? It's been spoken of by Joel, and it has to do with Jesus. And now the question is, on their part, what shall we do? And he says, well, tell you what, you need to turn from your sin and be baptized. You need to, through baptism, declare your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And if you'll do that, you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not incidental to our faith. It's at the very part, but it's the expression of faith. It isn't the baptism that saves. It's the faith, the repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. So let's apply all of this. I've been applying it all along, haven't I? But, But let me give you a couple of final applications. What shall we do? Repent and be baptized. I would really be remiss on a Sunday when we're looking at a passage where the gospel is proclaimed to not say or give the opportunity for you to repent of your sins and be baptized. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. All right? I'm an expository preacher, and so I go with the passage and where it takes us. But it certainly takes us today, doesn't it? There today. That's what Peter was proclaiming. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never turned from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can have gone to church your whole life. I, I don't, it doesn't matter. Right? In fact, who is Peter preaching to here? Come on, let's get this down. Who is he preaching to? These are the devout Jews who've come from all over the world to worship God in Jerusalem. And Peter is still saying to them, you know what? If you're getting in, if you want the baptism of the Spirit, the immersion in the Spirit, if you want salvation of your sins, you need to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll bet you a lot of people were offended. Now, a lot of them are responding, some 3,000, but there certainly were a lot of people who said, who does this guy think he is? Somebody else saying, I do think he is drunk. Yeah. To offend me in such a way. Right? But I would be remiss this morning not to say today's the day of salvation. Yep. I remember a fellow, Eric Singleton. Probably shouldn't give you his name. Eric was at a church I was at before. Attended a long time. Ended up going someplace else. And he would look back and not look at his time under the ministry where I was preaching as the time of his salvation. It was later. You know, they attend church. But, oh, it's not about attending church. Application number two, and we'll be done. Confusion to clarity. How does one go from confusion to clarity? They were perplexed that day in Jerusalem at Pentecost. They were perplexed. They couldn't put it together. So let me broaden my application How do we deal with being perplexed? How do we deal with confusion? I think in a broader sense what Peter gives us here is what we do. First of all, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was the activity of the Holy Spirit. Second of all, he went to Scripture, didn't he? All right, let's go to Scripture. And third, he proclaimed Christ. And so I would submit to you that if you're at a place in your life where you find yourself perplexed or confused about life and things in life, yeah, well, this is where you need to turn for salvation. But more than that, this is where you need to turn to figure life out. Scripture. Go to Scripture. That's where Peter goes. Go to Jesus Christ. That's where Peter goes. Yep. And then talk to somebody, probably we can say, who's spirit-filled, who can help you sort through all of those things. Boy, what good advice. Because I know I'm looking at a group where some of you are confused about life. You're trying to sort it all through. We almost all find ourselves there at different times. How do I make sense of this? Well, what do I do with this? Well, I can assure you that you're going to want to turn to Scripture. 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You're going to want to turn to Jesus Christ because he's the way, the truth, and the life. Yep, and you're going to desire the activity of the Spirit, bringing that all to bear. Kind of like what you said, Curtis, you can have all the toys, but you need the batteries. And it's the Spirit of God who brings that alive in our lives and brings it home. Amen? Amen. Father, we give you praise. We've got a lot to be thankful for. Thank you for this passage. Wow. Peter, his bravery, stepping forward. May we in the months ahead as we head into the holidays be brave. Proclaim Christ. Point people to Scripture. Live in the fullness of your spirit. And then, Father, he said, you know, it's the activity of the spirit. That's what's happening. Being poured out. And it's all because of Jesus. May we glory in Jesus. Who he is. May we be in a rut around here. Never tiring. Maybe in fresh ways proclaiming him, but never tiring of proclaiming Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. His exaltation to your right hand and the pouring out of your spirit upon his people. And the hope of a future day of the Lord when you're going to make it all right. Oh, what a hope we have. May we never tire of those things. May they be our highest thoughts. May they capture our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.